Today's scripture comes from Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. I read from the New Living Translation. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, Choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Malachites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. The word of the Lord. I have to say that every Sunday, especially when I'm speaking, I have this tension of whether or not I should sing my heart out and ruin my voice or whether I should save my voice for what I'm about to do. Um, But thank you, worship team. It was hard to keep silent. And I had a thought that when we were singing the very first song, show us your glory. Show us your power. If we were ever really prepared, if God answered that prayer, what would that look like? It really is an incredible thought to think about. How, in today's day and age, would God show his power and his glory? Sometimes in the smallest of things that go unnoticeable, but sometimes in the grand, big scheme of things as well. Well, it's going to be a great day, and it is already, in fact. I mean, just gathering here together this morning is a really good thing. But I want to suggest to you that meeting tonight for our first ever prayer summit, followed by now six baptisms, we had a late entry, how can this not be a great day? Not that we haven't gathered as a church to pray together before. In 2002, 11 people met weekly in Bob and Val Teske's home to pray together and pray specifically for God's leading and guiding in the planting of a new church in southwest Edmonton. And in the spring of 2003, Twilliger Community Church started public worship gatherings in the Holy Trinity Chinese Anglican Church. And one of my favorite, and perhaps unbeknownst to most of us, and perhaps the most significant prayer gatherings of TCC took place in 2004. June, I believe, this group of about 12 so or so met on this very piece of land that this building now sits, probably somewhere around the bottom of that main staircase. And they prayed that God might provide this land upon which to build a building that would be a gathering place for worship and discipleship and a connecting place for this community. I'm confident that those who remembered that gathering And those that knew TCC would eventually need to build a building continued to pray through the years. But as land prices increased, the opportunity to buy this land seemed to be fading as the cost became increasingly out of reach for a growing but still relatively small congregation. A congregation that averaged about 50 people in 2004. 
had tripled in size to about 150 in 2009. At that point, we started to feel the pressure and the limitations of the building we rented. And we prayed again. And as Pastor Ken and Bob were driving to Winnipeg for a conference and talking about the future of the church and where to meet, those prayers were then answered as the thought of perhaps meeting in the gym on the Taylor campus was discussed. And we spent three years in exile there. But what an amazing three years it was. From the Holy Spirit's eventual prompting Pastor Ken to to stop at a sales trailer that was located just south of us on this very property, to 100% agreement to buy 1.8 acres of land for a million dollars, which was significantly lower than what it was just a couple of years prior, to having our partner come back to us and buy back 0.6 acres of, of land to build a parking lot for their retail building, which they would develop and pay for and then lease back to us for a dollar per year for our use on Sundays. I don't know if, we're, if we've kept our bill up or if we've been paying that, but we owe at least $4, so would somebody take care of that, please? But only God. And when we raised about $2.5 million at that time in cash and pledges, only God. And when the building cost more than we expected, God provided a, a renter in the form of the YMCA to build, pay a significant amount of our monthly in mortgage payment. Only God. And now we have a land and building that is worth about $6.2 million, and after about four years in it, we only owe $1.3 million. Only God. And from September of 2011, while we were still in exile at Taylor, when we averaged 250 people on a Sunday to this past September, when we averaged 514, doubling in the past five years. Only God. And the 38 who have been baptized in this building alone, and six more tonight, just in the last three and a half years or so, because the baptismal tank wasn't even finished when we moved in. Only God. And the unknown number of seeds that have been planted in the hearts of children and youth through soccer camp and our children's ministry. And the numerous lives that have been changed through small groups and discipleship. Only God. So TCC prays. Every staff meeting, we pray together. Every elder meeting, we pray together. Every Wednesday evening, there's a group of people who gather and worship and pray together. We pray before, during, and after our services. And we have met together as a church to pray before. But not like tonight. I think tonight is different. And I want to suggest to you that tonight's prayer summit is different in that I believe it is the beginning of something new. This will be the first of many in this format. We'll have several of these a year. But with a vision to eventually have one a month. I believe when we look back in, in the distant future on this day, November 6, 2016, we will remember that God led us to a new place in the priority of prayer. The day when God started a movement in our church, not just to be a church that prays, as important as that is, but to be a praying church. Children, youth, parents, singles, seniors, praying together, not just talking about prayer, but actually practicing it. And that's what tonight is all about. A large group practicum. Don't know how to pray? 
Come and learn. Watch. Listen to others pray. And I expect that you'll be surprised. I believe that the future of TCC will be defined by a growing belief that prayer is essential and not just important. You see, there's a difference between believing that prayer is important, which it is, but believing that is essential. Essential means that there are things that will not happen without prayer. And if you believe that to be true, that you will have a passion and a fervency for prayer and a desire to have others join you. Already this year, you have seen an increased emphasis on prayer. Prayer involves hearing God. And we did a series of messages on the subject in May and June. And since then, you've heard about the Hearing God Seminar, a a six-week practicum designed to help us listen for and to hear God's gentle whispers. There was a group that did it in the spring. Two groups of ladies have already done it this fall with another one that just started this past Thursday. And there will be more. And today, we start a new series of messages on prayer simply called The Practice of Prayer. Over the next four weeks, we'll explore different aspects or types of prayer. And today, we're going to look at the practice of intercession. Inter-what? <laughs> don't worry, I'll explain. But just a thought about a key word that I don't want us to miss. Simply the word practice. Like everything that we want to get better at, we need to practice it. Some think uh, when we do it over and over through practice, it becomes a little easier. It becomes a little more routine. And some think, actually, that praying is hard. And to that, Oswald Chambers says, it is not prayer that is strenuous, but the overcoming of our own laziness. Ouch. That's almost not fair. But it's true. At least in my life. I have to tell, tell you and be totally candid with you. Prayer, consistent, focused prayer is an ongoing struggle in my life. Without a doubt, prayer has been the most challenging discipline in my life. And maybe that's why As I study this subject for the past couple of weeks in preparation for this message, I have been overwhelmed and humbled. Overwhelmed because of the sheer volume of the material available on the subject. There is no end to the number of books and articles and everything else on prayer. But humbled by the realization that maybe my struggle really is just overcoming laziness. So I come today not as the prayer expert, but as a fellow sojourner who desperately wants to learn and grow in the area of prayer. And the place to do that is through practice. But before we practice, it's important for us to know why we should pray. What motivates our prayers? And so let's start by looking at the passage that James had read for us just a few moments ago. In Exodus chapter 17, 8 through 13, if you have your Bible, you can turn there and follow along. We have Moses as a, as a model of intercessory prayer. And here we find an account of an incident in the life of Moses and the Israelites. An army of Bedouin warriors, the Amalekites, they see an opportunity to attack the weak and defenseless Israelites and take advantage of the nation when it was unprepared for battle. Most military experts would laugh at Moses' strategy, but they couldn't deny its power. Moses commands Joshua to choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. This wasn't an elite unit. 
We're not talking Navy SEALs or the Canadian equivalent, Joint Task Force 2. These were just some guys who were able-bodied and willing to go to war and fight on behalf of the Israelites. And Joshua is to lead this ragtag group of men into the valley to fight against an organized army. And while there are the, the, the troops on the ground, Moses himself goes to the top of a hill that overlooks the battlefield. And he doesn't go alone. Aaron and her go with him. And he doesn't go unarmed, but not with a sword. He takes the staff of God with him. Now, the staff of God was a symbol of the power of God. In Exodus chapter 7, Moses struck the Nile River with the staff of God, and all the water in the river turned to blood. Pretty disgusting, but that's what the Bible says. And when they came to the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14, Moses again raised the staff and stretched out his hand, and the waters parted. And the Israelites crossed, Israelites crossed on dry ground. And in Exodus chapter 17, when the Israelites grumbled and whined about not having any water to drink, God instructed Moses to strike a rock with the staff. And water came out of the rock for people to drink. Show us your power. Show us your glory. And so Moses is on the hill with the staff of God in his hand. And Joshua is leading just some men in the battle against the Amalekites. Now listen to verse 11. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Incredible, isn't it? Staff up, Israelites are winning. Staff down, the Amalekites start to dominate. Now, wouldn't that be great at an Oilers game? Power play! <laughs> They're losing. Seriously, though. The hands lifted high, holding the staff of God, is understood to be Moses lifting hands of prayer over the conflict that was happening in the valley down below. And when he got tired, because he was human, and his hands dropped, the Israels were getting routed. And so he'd find some strength. And then it was advantage Israelites again. And we don't know how often he did this, but have you ever tried to hold your hands or hold a stick or go home and practice with a broomstick or something and just hold it up there and see how long you can hold it? And your hands tire because it's not easy. And the scripture says that when Moses' arms became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. Aaron and Hur stepped in. They sat Moses down on a stone and then they stood on either side of him and held up his hands for him. And the scripture says that they did this all day long until sunset. And in verse 13, we read the results. Joshua 
overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Richard Foster, in his book on prayer, writes, In the military annals, Joshua was the commander who won the victory that day. He was the person up front and in the thick of the conflict. But you and I know the rest of the story. Back behind the scenes, the battle of intercession was won by Moses and Aaron and Hur. Each role was essential for victory. Joshua was needed to lead the charge, but Moses was needed to intercede on behalf of the children of Israel. Aaron and Hur were needed to assist Moses as he grew weary. So essentially what Moses and Aaron and Hur did in that day in the history of the Israelites was intercessory prayer. And since the Israelites defeated the Amalekites, we might be tempted to think, great, prayer works, I should try it. But we'd be wrong. Because God works. It is clear that the elevating of the staff symbolizes the power of God and that only God, only God is the key to Israel's military success. And the account of this incident and the history of the Israelites, the attention is primarily on what is happening on the hill and not so much on the battlefield below. And this suggests to me that this is where battles are won, where victories happen. Israel Israel only prevails over, over the Amalekites because of God's power. Only God. And so intercessory prayer. What is it? Who's it for? Who does it? When do you do it? So many questions. But simply put, all followers of Jesus are called to intercessory prayer. It's the story of the New Testament. You can hardly read a a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote where he doesn't encourage them to pray for one another or pray for me or pray for us. He invites those who are followers of Christ to pray and to be like Moses and Aaron and her and to pray to God on the behalf of others. That's all intercessory prayer simply is. And so Jesus encourages his readers, or sorry, James encourages his readers to pray for one another. And the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Galatians, encourages followers of Jesus to carry one another's burdens. And sometimes we can do that practically, but other times we do that through prayer. And so ultimately, intercession, prayer of intercession, is a demonstration of our love for others. And when we move from petition or asking God for our needs, because there's a place for that too. But when we shift from petition to intercession, we shift our focus to the needs and concerns of others. Intercessory prayer is selfless prayer. It's even self-giving prayer. And like Moses praying for Joshua and some men in battle, nothing is more important than intercessory prayer. You see, Joshua, knowing that Moses was interceding for him, because that's what he said he would do. He sent him out, you go get some men, I'm going to go on the hill, and I'm going to pray for you. And Joshua, knowing that, gave him the strength and the courage to go out and fight against an attacking army that they were ill-equipped to fight against. But he went 
Because he knew that the power of God would deliver them. Only God. People today need that from each of us. Marriages are in trouble. Businesses are failing. People are unemployed. People are living life without purpose or hope. And you and I can make a difference in their lives. If we will pray on their behalf. Praying for others is not just the duty or obligation of pastors and elders, but it is the privilege of every one of us. And so as followers of Jesus, the Bible teaches, in fact, that we are all priests. It's the, priest, the, the, the priesthood of all believers. And as priests, chosen and appointed by God, we then have the honor of going before the Most High on behalf of others. This isn't something optional. It's a sacred obligation. But also a precious privilege. Now there's so much more that we could say about prayer. I mean, who and, and, and what to pray for. I mean, I just said, intercessory prayer is the pra- behalf on others. Do you know any others? It's obvious. It's all the people around you. Your spouse. If you're single, praying for your future spouse. Children. Family. Friends. Co-workers. Pastors. Leaders. For the church. For missionaries. The list goes on and on and on. There is no limit to the others for whom we can pray. And what should we pray for them? We say, well, it's easy to say it. And, 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 and typically, you know, we, we pray for others when we know that they're sick, when we know that they're grieving, you know, when we, when we know a particular need in their life. And that's great. I, I was saying to Tina even this morning, I was thinking about all the times where I, I just had this unbelievable sense that people were praying for me. And I could think about a numerous examples in my life, but I think no more was this, they're all clear. But one that really stuck out for me was in 2003, Tina's brother, who's 34 years old at the time, was diagnosed with cancer and then passed away a month after being diagnosed. And I remember gathering at the funeral home for the visitation. And as a family... We're consoling the grief of the people that are coming through instead of the other way around. How is that possible? Because people knew, well, we got to pray for Tina. We got to pray for her family. We got to pray for Nora. Got to pray for the extended family that, that they would know in the midst of this tragedy the peace and the comfort of God. Now, it didn't take rocket science to figure out what to pray for. And I remember after that night, we're standing around as a family going, that was weird. Because <laughs> we were sustained by the prayers of who knows how many people. And I bet you could think of example and example after example, even in your own lives, of where you may not have known even who was praying for you. But you knew that people were. And so what do we pray for beyond sick and grieving and, and some of those things? 
Can I suggest to you, you just open your Bible and, and start to read? And when you read your Bible, you'll see that there's things that God wants for you. And then you say, okay, God, I, I'm going to pray that for me, but, but who else needs to increase their faith? Or who else needs to be sustained and strengthened today? Who else? And so the Bible just gives us clue upon clue upon clue in what to pray for. If you're like me, maybe you like to, like to have a list and what to pray for. And so if you go home, and I'm going to do this with some caution, because if you haven't noticed, not everything on the internet is legit or worthy. But just Google how to pray for my husband, how to pray for my wife. And, and you'll, I know there's good resources out there, desiringgod.org, Revive Our Hearts Ministries, on and on and on, will give you just all sorts of practical things. I have a few of these prayer cards that I've collected over the years. Let me throw these at you. 31 biblical virtues to pray for your kids. doesn't matter how old they are. Pray for number one, salvation. And every one of these has a scripture verse. Lord, let salvation spring up within my children that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 2 Timothy 2.10 Pray that they might grow in grace. Pray that they would love. Pray for their honesty and integrity. Pray for self-control. Pray that they would have a love for God's word. Pray for justice. Pray for mercy. Pray for respect for others, for themselves, and for authority. Pray for a biblical self-esteem. Pray for faithfulness, courage, purity, kindness, generosity. Pray that they might be peace-loving. Pray for their joy. Pray for their perseverance. Pray for their humility, their compassion, responsibility, contentment, faith, a servant's heart, hope. Pray for willingness and ability to work. Pray for a passion for God. Pray for self-discipline, prayerfulness, gratitude, and a heart for missions. 31 things, just like that. You could probably add another 10 or 20. But praying for our kids, praying for another. There's even, just wink, wink, nudge, nudge, a 30-day prayer challenge of praying for your pastors. Revive Our Hearts Ministries. Look it up. So there's no end to what we can pray for. But the only way that we learn to pray is by praying. Through practicing. We do that individually on our own. We do that corporately as a church. And so tonight... Won't you join us? We've had a significant response, but I know that there's more of you that ought to be together tonight to pray. And like those 11 that prayed for a church in southwest Edmonton, one of the things we're going to pray for now as a larger congregation is for another church in southwest Edmonton. How is God leading us in that? How is he going to provide for that? Friends, we need to pray because only God and Jesus, I close with, because he is really the great model and the great intercessor. As some would say, the eternal intercessor. 
And honestly, I know if we had a Q&A and we asked questions and you had an opportunity to say, like, what a, like, one of my questions about prayer is, why does God need us to pray? Pray. I mean, he's God. What, what, what difference would our prayers make? And I have to tell you that I think prayer remains one of the great and glorious mysteries of the universe. That somehow this all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, all-wise, all-sovereign God should run this world in response to our prayers and the prayers of his people is mind-boggling. But that is the consistent message of the Bible. God hears and answers the prayers of his people. Period. Or exclamation mark. I mean, we cannot neglect this incredible way of influencing nations and movements and institutions and churches and families and individual people's hearts. But remember... It's not our prayers. It's only God. And Jesus knew this. Jesus spent time alone with the Father in prayer. Whether it was to seek the Father's guidance on a particular decision, he did that like before he called his disciples, or maybe just to be refreshed for the demands of ministry, Jesus needed time alone with God to pray. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews states this fact. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. And he demonstrated this through prayer. And if Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, prays to the Father, and we see it throughout the Gospels, don't we then need to pray as well? But get this, in Romans 8, 34, we read, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, I think I could have preached a whole message on that one verse alone, but here's a quick review that basically Christians will never be condemned because of these four things. Ready? We'll go through them fast. Number one, that verse says that Christ died for us. And in dying for us, he paid the full penalty for our sin. Secondly, he was raised from the dead which shows that his death was real and accomplished what it was intended to do. Thirdly, Jesus is now seated triumphantly at God's right hand. And fourthly, and here's the incredible part, as if dying and raising and seated at the right hand of the Father isn't enough, he intercedes for his people. that settle. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. 
And this truth enables us to pray for others with authority. We can pray for others, which is our ministry of intercession, only because of Christ's continuing ministry of intercession. The only reason the scriptures say we boldly approach the throne of grace, and the only reason we can even do that is because of Jesus. We need an interpreter, an intermediary, a go-between. And this is what Jesus Christ did for us and does for us in his role as eternal intercessor. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. And we know who that is, right? The man, Christ Jesus. So Jesus opens the door and grants us access to God. He takes our feeble and sometimes misguided prayers and he makes them acceptable before a holy God. And his intercession sustains our desires to pray, urging us on and giving us hope of being heard. And it's for that reason (coughs) that we rejoice, we give thanks, and we do our part in interceding on behalf of others, just as Christ modeled for us. Let's pray together. Father, Maybe when we hear the word intercessory prayer, beyond maybe having some doubt as to what that means, we are also tempted to think that that is maybe the responsibility of a, of a few who are gifted in that area. And there is no doubt that you have laid on the hearts of some uh, a special ability to just pray for hours on end. And they have the lists of every missionary they've ever known. But Lord, you call each of us to pray on behalf of others. You have chosen and appointed us as priests. And you have set an example and modeled for us what it means to put our complete trust and confidence in in Jesus. And even though the disciples spent so much time with Jesus, they recognized that his uniqueness and strength really lay in his relationship with God. They never asked, teach us, Lord, to do miracles or Teach us to heal the sick or teach us to raise the dead. They ask, teach us to pray. Lord, may that be true in our lives. And we think of what you have done on the cross and what you've done since and what you continue to do. It stretches our minds, but it expands our hearts as we think about you interceding on our behalf. And that even when we don't know how to pray, 
or what to pray. You are able to intercede on our behalf before the Father because you know. Lord, grow in us a passion for prayer, an understanding that prayer is essential in our personal lives and in our life as a congregation. And Lord, show us your power. Show us your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.